Explore presents a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a devil or two to boot by Alec and Jan Foreman. Chapter 26, Up Close and Personal, 21st to the 23rd of September, 1977, Afghanistan. Looks like you might have some more patience this morning, Alex said as we finished our breakfast. Really? I responded, leaning across him to raise the blind a little at the back door. I could see a group of locals quietly waiting for us to emerge from the Land Rover. Oh, right, better get cracking and see what they want, I declared as I packed away the kitchen stuff to be ready for the ongoing journey. They had mustered up someone who could speak a little English, and he helped me to understand what ailed the people. Two old men complained of gastric trouble, and one had a headache. I gave them basic medication. A toddler had mucky eyes. Her eyelashes were stuck together with dried yellow crud. I took some cotton wool and soaked it in boiled water and bathed her eyes clean. She struggled in her mother's arms as I worked quickly and gently, but the sweet girl was unsure about this strange tall white lady who was messing about with her face. The lady who had had a toothache the night before came back all smiles and insisted that we took a photo of her. She hoped we could send a print back. But to where? A young man offered his address, which he wrote down in Arabic script. Hmm, not sure that could be followed through, especially as it wouldn't happen until we returned to England. That was too difficult to explain, so we took her photo and afterwards her solemn face for the camera beamed once again. Nearby, the mobile butcher arrived and dismounted from his horse to set up shop. He sat cross-legged on the ground with a carcass of meat and lobs of fat before him that he hacked into chunks for his waiting customers. Just as we were about to leave, an elderly man brought his son to us and asked if we could help him. I looked at this twenty-something young man's face and saw his sallow complexion with sunken yellowed eyes. He looked weak and tired, and as he stood there with his head bowed, shoulders slumped, and his breath smelling of fresh vomit. I walked back to Alec and conferred with him. He's very sick and needs medical help, I whispered. Well, there's no knowing how far we'll have to go before we find a doctor, Alec replied. But if you think it's necessary, then we should take him along. As the young man climbed into the back of the Land Rover, we could see the relief on his father's face. He had been at his wit's end to know what else he could do to relieve his son's suffering. Jean-Luc and Martin, who had been patiently waiting to leave, supported our decision. Driving across the vast open land, we reached a river that was right across the main dirt road. Alec led the way and found the water was wide but relatively shallow. He stopped on the other side of the river, jumped out with camera in hand to photograph Jean-Luc as he drove across. Sharak was the next main town we reached. It was throbbing with people. 
we tracked down a primary healthcare worker at his primitive clinic and presented the patient to him. He agreed that the young man should continue on to Chakcharan Hospital to be treated there. No English was spoken at all, but our sign language to one another did the job. The patient was weak and nauseous, and he agreed to go along with the plan. As it happened, we were in for a treat of a ride over a mountain pass where we drove way up to 9,800 feet, according to the aviation altimeter screwed to the dashboard. We saw breathtaking views of magnificent rugged mountains resplendent in tones of reds and browns. At a fork in the road, we unknowingly chose the wrong track. A group of children waved us down and pointed in the other direction. The correct track was the narrow, rough road that steeply climbed as it zigzagged up over the pass. We then drove deep down into a tight gorge to follow the path of the river. There the Land Rovers were literally climbing one wheel after the other over huge rocks that lay on the dry riverbed. On several occasions, Jean-Luc stopped his vehicle to jump out and watch to see that the metal guard protecting the engine oil sump of our Land Rover would clear a boulder. Alec did the same for him. Then behold, we turned a corner, still in the shadow of the walls of the gorge, and saw ahead the minaret of jam, towering high in all its glory, centre stage in the spotlight. The steep walls of the gorge framed the spectacle in a V-formation backlit by the bright sunlight beyond. We had only driven 50 miles, all told, by the time we called a halt. Alec and Jean-Luc were exhausted from the strenuous driving as they had ensured our vehicles kept upright and unscathed by the rugged landscape we traversed. Our night's camp was in a prime location, hidden in the heart of the gorge, where the river jam intersected with the Hurry River that flowed fast and furious down below. We parked just a few yards away from the famous minaret of jam. It stood alone with no mosque by its side, but with its own backdrop of grand natural rock walls. Built in the 12th century using baked mud bricks, it was an elaborately decorated tower that soared over 200 feet high into the sky. The diameter of its base was 27 feet, but it gradually tapered in the higher it went. There was an inscription made from turquoise ceramic tiles set in the mud halfway up the historic tower. Because of its cultural importance, there was a local mud hotel nearby where we took our patient to stay. No dogs to contend with in the night, so we all slept peacefully, lulled by the constant sound of the river cruising by below. Alec and I woke before six and rose early to read our Bible. As we studied together, we learnt more and more of the Christian faith. Knowing Jesus Christ in a personal way had magnified our appreciation of all that we saw around us. Our senses had been heightened and our desire to really relate to the people we met had strengthened, even though we were hampered by language limitations. But everyone understands a smile, and being able to interact more closely with the local people in recent days had been a genuine blessing. Oh, and if only we could tell them of the eternal truth we had discovered. While I cooked porridge, Alec went to invite our travelling companion to join us for breakfast. We had arranged with Jean-Luc and Martin that we would wait for the sun to rise above the gorge before driving on. 
That was in order to take photos of our Land Rovers crossing over the precarious bridge high above the river. The bridge was made from planks of wood tied with rope horizontally to the massive logs that reached from the cliff edge, crossing high above and over the river to the ongoing track on the other side. Whilst cattle could be herded across the bridge, we saw horses walking through the river, both hazardous activities. Side to side, the bridge was wide enough for the Land Rover to be driven along, with its wheels within the edges of the outer logs. Prepared for all eventualities, Alec instructed me to be the photographer. I crossed the bridge on foot, climbed down the embankment to the right, and stepped out onto a huge boulder just above the level of the rushing water. I looked across to Alec, who was all set to cross. Our patient sat in the back, wondering what all the fuss was about. I gave Alec the signal to go. Heart in my mouth, I watched as he skilfully edged across the bridge. Whilst I took care not to fall in the river, I snapped just one photo, wary of our limited stock of films. How was it? I asked as I clambered back inside the vehicle. Great fun, but freaky. When I reached the middle, the weight of the Land Rover tilted the bridge the other way. Yikes! Did you get a good picture? Well, I hope so. Time will tell. We thought the previous day's drive had been a challenge. Well, we had seen nothing yet. We soon found ourselves on a hairy drive through a narrow gorge, just 20 feet wide, with the cliff face towering above us on either side. The actual track was even narrower in some sections, and as we drove over the boulders, we were thrown from side to side within the vehicle. We met locals walking and others on horseback herding their cattle along the uneven, slippery, rocky ground. Eventually, the track led out of the gorge into a wide, open valley of multicoloured hills with soft golden grass. Tall green and golden trees swayed in the breeze. The river meandered through the hills in a horseshoe shape. The scene was stunning. We passed by several villages of mud huts and round grass-mat huts with white or black roofs and wooden or grass doors. The local people were dressed in brightly coloured clothing and greeted us with friendly waves as we drove along. It was a scene of pastoral contentment. But not so in the Land Rover when I turned to check on our patient sitting in the back. Oh, Alec, you better stop. Our passenger is looking rather green, I cried out. The young man was very anxious and about to throw up. Alec immediately stopped and I let our patient out just in time. After we rested for a while, I gave the young man a glucose drink to restore his well-being. We had parked by a village and soon our vehicles and ourselves became a point of interest when a group of men walked across to greet us. Their lads were not far off their heels and soon were badgering us for bakshish. Free gifts like a pen, a ruler, a notebook. Alex's watch? And my wedding ring? My, my, their list was more extravagant than usual. But Alec was not about to hand over his watch, nor me my ring. We knew that even handing over the cheapest item, like a pen, would only encourage the habit of pestering foreign travellers, so we ignored their requests. Alec and Jean-Luc decided to go and check out the nearby water-powered flour mill. We discovered that it was a public holiday in the area, 
So Martine and I walked along to greet the ladies, who were wearing their finest dresses and jewellery. These country women were not veiled. What a joy to see their faces and respond to their shy smiles. But an old lady amongst them was wary of us. She waved her clenched fist and shooed us away. As we took to the dirt road again, we passed by two horses, each carrying a man and a woman. The women were regally dressed, one in a cloak and veil of rainbow colours. Their horses had hand-embroidered felt blankets under the saddles. The track climbed again, high out of the valley, over the crests of the hills, up and down, up and down, until we came to another valley where the river flowed through. The town of Chakaran was before us. Now was our chance to find medical help for the patient. We located the hospital and fortunately found a French-speaking doctor. So Jean-Luc explained the situation and introduced our travelling companion of the previous 36 hours. It was agreed the young man could stay at the hospital and we handed over enough money to pay for his stay, thankful that he would then receive appropriate treatment. We said cheerio and he gave us a weary smile, nodding his appreciation. It had been some time since we'd seen any fresh bread, fruit and vegetables for sale. Much to our delight, we discovered such foods available in the little town, so we bought plenty of extra goodies. Jan, look over there. Martine nudged me to look across the street. Why, there's just a group of men standing around, I responded. Yes, but look who's with them. Oh no, I don't believe it. What's he doing there? I exclaimed. Alec, Jean-Luc. Do you see our young man from the villages over there? Really? What's going on? Alec replied as we all walked across the street. Shouldn't he still be in the hospital? He can't be cured yet. And so it was, through the help of a local man, we discovered that after we walked away, the patient was promptly asked to leave the hospital and go home. The doctor had told him that on the following day, the Minister of Health would open their new hospital and they didn't need any patients around. Ours was not to reason why. Different culture, different ways. Our thinking we were being helpful was not necessarily so. We threw up our hands in exasperation and left the young man to find his own way back to his village. Going about our own business, we looked for the petrol pump in town and refueled the vehicles. It was mid-afternoon as we drove away and onwards a few miles before stopping by the river to eat a late lunch. Munching on fresh bread with sliced tomatoes, we quietly regrouped and relaxed for a while, just the four of us. Afterwards, we took the dirt road eastwards and drove on for another 35 miles through rolling gravelly hills. We went down into a small valley where we came to a mud village nestled close to the foothills. By then it was early evening and time to make camp for the night. We pulled on to a flat grassy area with room enough for the two Land Rovers to park at a comfortable distance from one another to allow for intimate privacy. We always sought out the flattest land to ensure the kettle or saucepan its hot contents wouldn't slide off the paraffin cooker. It was unusual for us to choose to park so near to a village again, but a wise choice in this wild country where you felt anything could happen. 
a local man came by, so we checked if we were okay to stay. We were becoming quite adept at using hand signals and body language to communicate our requests. Being reassured that it was fine for us to remain where we were, we asked where the village tea room was. He shook his head, as there was no such thing there, but thrillingly, he invited us to follow him to his home instead. Entering through the low doorway, I noticed how thick the mud walls were. We removed our shoes in a small room and then went through a hole in an inner wall into a large dark interior. Here we were directed to sit upon the felt cloth covered mud bench formed out from the wall. Dried plants were set alight to initiate the fire in the sunken earthen dish that sat in the centre of the room. Tiny golden sparks floated up towards the chimney which poked out of the blackened, sooty roof of the house. Dried dung patties and wood were added to the fire and they began to burn steadily, radiating heat and a rural fragrance around the room. My eyes smarted with the haze of grey smoke. A blackened, heavy kettle hung on a metal tripod which was positioned over the fire. The soft glow of the firelight enabled me to see the extended family gathered inside the room, fascinated by their unexpected visitors. Delightful faces peered at us, young and old. Two elderly women with weathered faces admired the cardigans Martine and I were wearing. They felt the wool with their rough, wrinkled hands. Several of the young girls, aged about 12 years old, were pregnant and well adorned with jewellery, a peer group all sharing the same life experience, which comes very early compared to what we know in the West. The couple whose home it was had two young children, about 18 months and three years old. The older one, a bonnie bairn, was cheeky, laughing, singing and clapping to everyone's amusement. The water boiled and tea was made. The man's young wife kindly gave us each a glass full of sweet black tea. She then took down a bundle from a shelf, hollowed in the mud wall and knelt down, placing it on her lap. I was intrigued. From out of the small rolled up woven rug, she took a wonderful loaf of bread. Tearing off a hunk, she handed it to one of the pregnant girls to pass on to me. She repeated the same for Alec, Jean-Luc and Martine too. As we took our time to sip the tea and eat the delicious bread, I felt privileged and humbled by the generosity of these villagers. With limited conversation, after a while the silence felt awkward, so we bade them farewell and returned to our Land Rovers. The next morning we noticed the condensation inside the vehicle on the windows and metal trims had frozen overnight. Alec checked the temperature and saw it was only 34 degrees Fahrenheit. We were up by quarter to six, but kept the door closed whilst we accomplished our morning routine. We might have been trying to be private, but the local lads thought our Land Rover needed exploring. They climbed up onto the bonnet to pull on the chains that secured the jerry cans on the roof rack. They scattered as soon as Alec jumped out of the back door. Scallywags! Just as we were about to drive off, a mother walked across to show me her toddler's right leg, which had been badly burnt. 
I got out of the Land Rover to examine the child. Fortunately, the burn was healing well and scar tissue had formed. There was no sign of infection. She must have been scalded with boiling water or tottered into the hot embers of an open fire. I wondered how often that occurred within their poorly lit homes. I smiled to reassure the mother that all was fine. It's all right, Alec. We can continue. Thank goodness. Alec gave the thumbs up to Jean-Luc and our mini-convoy departed. Total distance driven, 25,165 miles. You've been listening to a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a devil or two to boot by Alec and Jan Foreman, presented by Explore More. Explore More is an adventure lifestyle brand founded on the 1977 travel stories of Alec and Jan Foreman with a passion to inspire people to explore more of the world, engage with others and embrace global cultures to ensure a greater understanding for each other and enable positive progression. Discover great products and more on exploremore.com. That's E-X-P-L-M-O-R-E dot com.